Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word and learn how to glorify and honor Him and His church and in our homes. The lesson that you're about to hear takes a specific look at our home life as we strive to be men of God, husbands and fathers that glorify and honor Him and fill His will. We often hear about the Proverbs 31 woman. This lesson is entitled, The Proverbs 1 through 30 Man. So please open your Bible to the book of Proverbs, and let's learn about how to be men of God. Last Sunday morning, we took a look at the Proverbs 31 woman. talked about the role of the virtuous wife and mother whose worth is far above jewels. And as I said last Sunday, as we closed out the service, I've often thought regarding the Proverbs 31 woman that it would have been nice if we could have had a Proverbs 32 man. But then I realized exactly why there is not a Proverbs 32 man, and that is because Proverbs chapter 1 through 30 is about the man. And so this morning I'd like for us to take a look at the Proverbs 1 through 30 man, a virtuous husband, a husband whose worth is far above rubies. Now there was a little joking going on beforehand, and I know it was all said in jest, we were all just joking around, but some of the brothers said, you know, this is Father's Day. We're supposed to be honoring fathers, not raking them over the coals. Well... That may be true. However, you know, guys, if we want to be honored, we need to be honorable. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today, how we can be honorable husbands and fathers and be men that are worthy of the honor that our wives and our kids are according us today. A virtuous husband, a husband whose worth is far above jewels. There are lots of things, and obviously we could, we could probably go all year long looking at things throughout the Proverbs that would talk about how to be a great husband and how to be a great father, how to be a great man, a leader in the family, on the job, in the church, whatever, all kinds of things that we could talk about in that regard. But we're just going to hit some highlights very briefly today. As we take a look at some of the major themes taught throughout the book of Proverbs, we're going to be noticing four areas. We're going to talk about the man and his God, the man and wisdom. We're going to be talking about the man and his family, and the man and his work and his relationship with money, and what Proverbs has to say about those things. As we take a look at Proverbs chapter 1 through 30, there are three ways that we need to be using the advice that we find here. Number one, advice for husbands and fathers, advice for seeking a husband, number two, and advice for training our sons. Number three, if we're already husbands and fathers, we need to be reading the book of Proverbs to teach us how to be wise as husbands and fathers. If you're an unmarried young lady and you're looking for a husband, we told the men last week that Proverbs 31 is a great training for those who are unmarried to be looking for a wife. The same is true for all the things that we're going to be looking at this morning. If you're unmarried, this is the kind of man that you need to be looking for if you're going to have a great home as you're married to him. And for those of us who have boys that we're training up, Some of the principles that we're going to be looking at today are are great goals. They're things that we need to have in our minds as we're raising these boys and teaching them how to be men who are going to glorify God, who are going to be virtuous and worth more than jewels like our wives are to be also. Before we take a look at this, would you bow with me in prayer? Glorious Father in heaven, we are amazed that you allow us to be a part of your plan. We're amazed that you allow us to come into your presence to honor and praise you. And we're especially amazed that you even allow us to take your word and strive to teach it to others. We pray that we will use it honorably. We pray that we'll use it wisely and rightly, that we'll divide it properly, that we will apply it accurately. We pray that you would help us as we study this morning, especially for those of us who are men, who are husbands and fathers, that we'll take a look at the wisdom found in Proverbs that can be applied to our lives specifically. We recognize, Father, that Proverbs wasn't written specifically about men and husbands and fathers. 
But how much of it applies to our role, we appreciate that and ask that you would help us to apply it specifically to ourselves. Help us to have our hearts open to your word. Help us to honor and glorify you in all that we do. And we pray that you would be with our families. We pray that each of the fathers will glorify you and that each of the mothers will be that worthy woman we talked about last week. We pray that our children, that we'll bring them up in your nurture and admonition, that they will be obedient and that they'll follow in our footsteps and follow in the footsteps of your son, honoring and glorifying We love you, Father, and we're so thankful that you have loved us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. As we take a look at the virtuous man, as we continue to understand how he's supposed to be, the first thing that we want to talk about is the virtuous husband and his God. We recognize from passages like Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as the Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. We understand that the husband, the father, is the head in the home. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That passage doesn't mean that mothers are allowed to provoke their children to anger, but rather the fathers are addressed because they are the heads of their household, and they're supposed to be making sure that this is not taking place. We understand that the husband, the father, is the head in the home, but sadly there are a lot of men that have taken this passage and acted as though what that means is that they're allowed now to be a tyrant and do whatever they want, that they get to decide what the family is going to do, and that is just not what the Bible demonstrates, because we recognize from passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Just as the husband is head in the family, we men need to realize that Christ is our head and God is His head. We don't get to do just whatever we want. We're not given all authority over everything that we can just use our family for our beck and call and for our whims and desires and wants. Rather, we are supposed to be leading our families based upon our relationship with God, who is our head. And so, men, if we're going to be in our families, the virtuous husband and father, the very first thing that we have to get right is our relationship with God. And Proverbs talks frequently about our relationship with God. We're going to be taking a look at several passages as we consider the relationship that we are supposed to be having with our God. And I'm going to put most of them up here on the board because we've got so many. We'd spend 30 minutes just looking up all of them, and so we're going to put them on the board so we can keep track of them. But as we consider our relationship with God, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I understand that this is spiritually incorrect in our day and age. We aren't supposed to be talking about fearing the Lord, but men... God is our head. He is our Father, and we had better fear Him. One day we are going to stand in judgment before Him about the way we live 24 hours a day, every day of the week. What are we doing in our homes and families? What are we doing with our wives and our children? We are going to be judged by God for that, and we need to fear that judgment. We need to recognize that if we don't view God as our head, if we don't conduct our families following the pattern that God has established, following the will that God has set for us, we are going to be in trouble. No, I don't believe that we need to go through our lives quaking in our boots. No, I don't think we need to be worried that if I mess up tomorrow, God's going to strike me dead. But we do need to fear that if I go off doing my own thing in my family, I will be judged. We need to fear the Lord. 
We continue in the book of Proverbs, and we come to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. As we're dealing with all of these principles of fatherhood and really any aspect of our life as Christians, we have got to trust the Lord. Are we going to do things God's way or are we going to do them our way? You'll notice he describes what trusting the Lord means. It means do not lean on your own understanding. God says something. Do we find ourselves, I just don't see why that would work. I just can't imagine that. Do we ever say to ourselves, well, I know what the Bible says, but in my situation, that just can't possibly be true. When somebody points us to a Bible verse about our lives, and then we start talking about our extenuating circumstances, the question is, are we going to trust the Lord, or are we going to do things our way? Men, if we're going to be virtuous husbands and fathers, worth more than jewels, we've got to trust the Lord and do things His way. As we continue our look in Proverbs chapter 3 again, this time I believe in verses 11 and 12, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest His correction. For whom the Lord loves, He corrects just as the Father, the Son, in whom He delights. Now I recognize that it's difficult. In fact, perhaps most of the time we don't know exactly what it is that God is doing and how He is working in the circumstances that go on around us. But we need to take everything that happens and we need to look at it and ask, What can I learn from this? Whether or not we can say with certainty that God has specifically caused something, and brethren, yes, I do believe that God disciplines us and does cause some things, but I don't know which they are. I'm like Mordecai with Esther. Who knows, but perhaps God has brought you here for such a time as this. I can't know all of them, but I do know that God disciplines us. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that. But what we need to do, no matter what circumstance we enter, we need to be asking the question, what do I learn from this? And we need to accept it from God. Instead of getting mad at God when things are happening, we need to be asking, how can I learn from this? What lessons do I find in this? And accept the discipline of God, because the ones whom God corrects, He loves. The fact that we endure discipline means that God loves us. As we continue on in the book of Proverbs, this time in chapter 15 and verse 16, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Talk about perspective. What is the writer of Proverbs telling us? He's saying that you've got to learn to be content. Be content with what you've got. And when he says be content with what you've got, it's much like in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. The point is not, well, I've got a nice house, I've got a nice car, I can be content with that. The point is, no matter what we have materially, when we're children of God, we have God. And whether we have a nice house or we live in a hovel, if we have God, we've got enough. In fact, we've got more than we need. Be content with God. Focus on having God and not on the things of this world. And we can be that virtuous husband. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Men, we've got to be honest. We've got to be honest in our relationship with God. We've got to be honest as we take a look at how we live as husbands and fathers. We've got to be honest with whether or not we are really doing what God has said. And when we find that we're not, instead of trying to justify or cover up, we need to confess. And yes, that's going to mean that if we've actually sinned against our wives and our children, that we have to, I know, we don't like this, apologize. We have to say, I'm sorry. Can we say that, men? I'm sorry. 
Then why don't you say that with me? Because I'm sure there's something you've done this week you need to apologize for. Let's just say it together. You ready? I'm sorry. All right? We've got to learn how to say those words. Phil almost passed out. Did you see that? No. We've got to to learn to be honest. Confess our sins to God. Be honest about what we've done. And remember, we've talked about confession before. Confession doesn't just mean saying, I'm sorry. Confession means saying the same thing that God says about it. That it wasn't just a mistake, it was dreadful. It was a violation of God's command. There was no justification for it. There's no way that I can get you to understand why I did it. It was just wrong and I shouldn't have done that. Confessing, being honest about our relationship with God. And finally, regarding our relationship with God, and there's so much more we can look at in Proverbs, but regarding this look, we need to remember what Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And this is a problem for men because, of course, we want to be the great provider. We want to be the one who has worked hard. We want to be the one who has gone out and killed the beast and drug it home. But this passage points out that it's not about us. That in all that we have done, we need to acknowledge God. Why are we able to get up every morning and go to work? It's because of what God has done for us. Why were we able to get such an awesome life? It's because of God's grace to us. Why do we have these wonderful children? It's because of what God has blessed us with. Why are we able to get up and breathe in and out? It's because of God. And we need to acknowledge God. And it needs to be more than just that quick prayer right before each meal, but we need to be doing that too. But we need to acknowledge God in all our ways. We need to recognize that that it's God's grace that has allowed us to get where we are. It's God's blessing that has allowed us to be where we are. And we need to acknowledge that. But of course, we need to be honest. If we've gotten where we are because we've been violating God's law, that wasn't His blessing. We've got to be honest. That goes back to the last point. But if we've been submitting to God and obeying Him and He's blessed us, we've got to acknowledge Him. It's not about me. It's not about putting myself forward as the one who has done so much and how awesome I am as a husband, as a father. It's about God and what He has done. And we need to acknowledge Him in all our ways. The second aspect of the virtuous man that we find in Proverbs is his relationship with wisdom. Solomon began Proverbs. The first chapter, he talks about wisdom. In chapter 1 and verse 20, we're going to read this one here. This is 13 verses long. We're going to read through it. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I'll pour out my spirit on you. I'll make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. You neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. Verse 26, I will also laugh at your calamity and I will mock when your dread comes. When your excuse me, when your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they'll call on me, but I will not answer. They'll seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. 
that he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. Do you see why wisdom is so important, men? We need to conduct ourselves as husbands and fathers, being guided by the wisdom that comes from God. Why? Because he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. Those of us who listen to wisdom, who follow wisdom's guidelines as dictated by God, we will live at ease. Keep in mind, this is a proverb, a general maxim. I recognize there will be exceptions to this. But fools are going to suffer. The wise are the ones who will be delivered by God. The problem is that most of us want to just go our own way. Most of us just want to do what we want to do. And we'll justify in our minds that it's wise. But when we do that, we need to remember Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 and Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 25. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. Then we can't just go our own way. We've got to follow the wisdom of God. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Think about that, guys. How much time a week do we spend trying to make money? How much time a week do we spend trying to get wisdom? The proverbialist said that one is better than the other. As we consider this context and the concept of seeking wisdom and and being guided by wisdom, we need to learn to be governed in our homes, on the job, in all all of our relationships by honesty, truth, and mercy. Look at a few passages in Proverbs. And it talks about these principles. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 3, it says, Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Follow mercy and truth. Another passage in the book of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 1, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. We need to be governed by honesty. That truth. Bind it around your neck. Don't let it go. Be honest in all of your dealings because dishonesty is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 23 sums it up. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Wisdom and instruction and understanding. Buy the truth. If, you know what that you know, Do you realize what that means? It's going to cost something. The truth, honesty, sincerity. The truth costs. We're going to have to sacrifice. But buy the truth and do not sell it. Don't give it up for anything. That's how important truth is. As a Christian, as a husband, and as a father. As we continue our look at the virtuous husband and his relationship with wisdom, we find in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 14 that where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. If we're going to seek wisdom, then we need to seek, excuse me, we need to seek wise counsel. Consider another passage that demonstrates the same point. In Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10 it says, By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. With the well-advised is wisdom. A scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 12 says to us, we've got to have wise counsel. That means folks are going to correct us. We ought to seek the correction of others. When we ask them, we need to be prepared for that. 
We don't need to be like Rehoboam, Solomon's son, who sought wise counsel and he went to the older counselor's face first saying, what should I do with these people who are telling me to back off? And they said, well, you need to back off. Then he turned around and he went to the younger ones. He said, oh no, tell them that you're going to squash them. You see, what Rehoboam did is he just sought the counselors who would say what he wanted to hear anyway. And how often do we do that? How often do we seek counseling? Then how often do we seek counseling about issues on the job or with our wives or with our children? And then when the people don't say what we wanted to hear to begin with, we get mad and upset and justify why they're wrong. Seeking wise counsel doesn't mean finding people who already completely agree with me. Seeking wise counsel means finding people who are getting the job done. Finding people who are getting the results. And finding out what they did and what they do. And following the wisdom. It means getting into the Word. Finding those who know the Word. And letting them teach us what the Word says about these aspects of our relationships. Seeking wise counsel. But did you know that last passage pointed out that with pride comes strife? You see, if we're going to seek wise counsel, we have to automatically admit, I don't have all wisdom. And so if we're going to be wise in our homes and families, brethren, we've got to get rid of our own pride. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. We have got to get rid of our own pride and our own arrogance. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 11 and verse 2. I believe we have one more on this issue of pride. It says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 12. If we're going to seek wise counsel, if we're going to give up our own pride and wisdom, one of the things we're going to have to learn to do is to control our tongues. Proverbs is filled with passages that talk about controlling the tongue. Proverbs 10, 19-21 says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The lips of the righteous feed many. Proverbs 10, verse 19-21. Consider another passage that points out the same thing. He who has knowledge spares his words. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. We've got to learn to control our tongues. You know, there are a lot of otherwise seemingly good men who are going to lose their souls because they haven't learned to control their tongues. We've got to learn to do that. Whether we're talking about how we speak to our wives and our children or how we talk to folks on the job, whether we're talking about slander and gossip or whether we're talking about yelling and screaming, it doesn't matter. We've got to learn to control our tongues and speak the way God wants us to speak. Like to that is the fact that we need to learn to control our anger and our temper. Proverbs 14.29 says, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. We've got to learn to control our tempers. We continue on in the Proverbs, and we find in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1, it says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. How many men have these problems of always looking forward to tomorrow. Everything's going to be okay because this is going to happen tomorrow. Always looking to the future and, and, and hoping that something's just going to come out of the sky and this is going to happen tomorrow. And tomorrow, don't boast about tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow's going to be. We need to work today. We need to do our duty today because tomorrow may not provide what we were hoping it would provide. 
And finally, regarding the virtuous husband and wisdom, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1 sums up really everything we've discussed here. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. Men, we need to live our lives in such a way that people look at us and say, I'd like to be like him. I'd like to be like him. Because a good name is better to have than riches and gold. As we continue on very quickly, all of the principles that we've talked about here, we are applying to our work in the home. But there are a couple of principles that apply very specifically to our role as husbands and fathers, our role in the home. And we want to take a look at four passages that talk about that very specifically, things that we need to understand, things that we need to do very specifically regarding our homes and our families. The very first one in Proverbs chapter 24 and 27 says, Prepare your work outside, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterward build your house. What does it say? This says we need to get ourselves financially responsible before we start working on a family. If you've got to live with mom and dad when you get married, if that's your plan, this passage says don't do that. This passage says you get your financial ducks in a row before you start working on a family. Before we start buying things, we need to make sure that we can pay for those things. We're not even going to get into issues of debt. We just need to learn that we're supposed to prepare our work outside and then work on building the house. We need to get those financial ducks in a row. So if you, if you can't live on your own, don't get married. If you can't provide a home and take care of it, then, then don't get married. And if you are married and you're already in these situations, then you need to work as quickly as you can on your field. And then continue with your home and your family. The second thing we recognize is about our relationship with our wives. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15 through 20, we're not going to read the entire five verses. We're just going to get this synopsis, this summary. But in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15 through 20, it says, Drink water from your own cistern and rejoice with the wife of your youth and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman? Obviously, if we're going to be a virtuous husband and a virtuous father, we're going to be enraptured with our wife. We're not going to be looking at everybody who walks by. We're not going to be surfing the net. We're not going to be enraptured with somebody else. We're not going to be wishing our wives were someone else. We're going to be enraptured with our wife. And we're going to focus on her with our heart, with our mind, and with our bodies. And we're not going to violate that principle ever. That's the wise husband. That's the one who is following after God. That's the virtuous husband. And then in Proverbs chapter 22... And verse 6, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Do you notice what that says? It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Don't wait until you think he is able now to understand and then try to get him to do things right. Train him up. Don't procrastinate that. Train our kids in the way that they should go. And as we establish those, those, it's almost like establishing train tracks in their mind as we, as we establish patterns for them of conduct and behavior in our homes. They won't leave that when they're older. They might rebel against it for a little while. They might go out. But I tell you what, you get those things implanted in there. And a lot of times, most of the time, they'll always come back to that. Train them up in the way they should go. Husbands and fathers, we must not forget that this is part of our job with children. Our job as we're raising our children is to not let kids be kids, but to train up kids to be adults. That's our job. Train them up in the way they should go, and they'll not depart from it when they're old. And there's one more passage 
And this one's a little bit odd. You might think it's kind of funny that we put it here. But Proverbs 19 and verse 13 says, A foolish son is the ruin of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. Now, most of you reading that think that that passage is probably rebuking sons and wives. I don't think that's the case. I think this passage is actually about husbands and fathers. Because you see, fathers, if we don't want to be ruined, we can't raise up foolish sons. And I realize, of course, that sons will have their own choices. And I realize that at times we can do our best to raise them and they might be foolish and that won't be brought against us. But a lot of the time, sons are foolish because their foolish fathers raise them to be so. And so, fathers, if we don't want to be ruined, train up those sons so that they won't be foolish. And are the contentions of a wife a continual drifting? Absolutely. But you know what, guys? If we would fix the leaky faucet, it wouldn't leak. Whatever it is that they're nagging about all the time, if we would just take care of it, they wouldn't be nagging us anymore. <clears throat> Excuse me. They wouldn't be nagging us anymore. And I know I'm going to get it for that one. Rita's going to say, well, why haven't you fixed that roof in the, in the sunroom yet? I know. I know. But she hasn't nagged me too much about that. She's great. But you know what, guys? If we want to not have the continual dripping, then fix the faucet. This is really about us. When we're the husbands that we're supposed to be, it makes it a lot easier for our wives to be the wives they're supposed to be. One more issue that we're going to deal with, and that's the issue of the man and his relationship with his work. We know that in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 it says that if anyone will not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he is worse than an infidel. We recognize that one of our major roles, men, is to provide for our families. And so we need to be thinking about our relationship with work and with money. And Proverbs chapter 1 through 30 provides an amazing contrast. It points out what most of us are doing in our work and demonstrates what a folly it is and sets a different goal for us. If we look in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4 and 5, it demonstrates what most of us are working for and why it's that. It says, don't overwork to be rich. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. If what we're focused on is, is money and material things, and I want to live in that big house, and I want this, and I want that, that's never going to be satisfied. Even if you finally get that bigger house, there's always somebody who has a bigger house. Just drive around Franklin and Brentwood and Nashville. You'll find one. They're all over the place. There's always going to be the nicer car. Boy, you talk about finding cars that, that will... Uh, yeah, don't overwork to be rich. We'll set your eyes on that which is not. I don't know what car it was. We were just, uh, we were on our way. You know, we just took our vacation, met with a bunch of Christians in Gatlinburg, and we were going on a whitewater rafting trip. And as we were in the car, flipped the radio on, and Paul Harvey mentioned some car that a guy bought for $2 million. Drove it 10 blocks, and it broke down. There you go. You can work really hard and own a $2 million car. And it'll break down in 10 blocks, just like my $2,000 car would be. Isn't that amazing? Well, what should we be working for? Well, that's also demonstrated in the book of Proverbs. Instead of striving after wealth, we need to be striving after excellence. Proverbs 22 and 29 says, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He'll stand before kings. He'll not stand before unknown men. You see, a lot of folks, what they're striving for is to get to stand before kings. But if we just strive for excellence, we'll get to stand before kings. 
In the Bible discussion I had on this vacation this week, we were asking the question, where is that line crossed? Because surely we ought to be allowed to go for promotions and that sort of thing in work, and yet we're supposed to be content. And this was the exact point that, that I made. So, you know, the problem is most of us are just striving for, for promotions to get more money. If we were just striving for excellence, we'll probably get the promotions. But if we're striving to excel at our work, then we've got the proper motivation. And we continue on. We need to recognize, and perhaps this is already demonstrated when we talk about striving for excellence, but we see another contrast in the book of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 30, and that's laziness versus industry. And what we find out is that there is no room for laziness with the virtuous man, whether we're talking about on the job or at the home. In Proverbs 19 and verse 15 it says, Laziness casts one into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Another passage that talks about laziness points out to us in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 through 34. I went by the field of the lazy man. It was all overgrown with thorns. Its stone wall was broken down. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. This is the laziness. We can't have this. We need to be working our way out of this. In contrast to that, we have Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. We need to go to the ant. Nobody has to tell her what to do. She doesn't have captain, overseer, or ruler. They just do it. They do their work. They do it every day. And that's what we need to be doing. Is there time for rest and relaxation? Absolutely. But laziness has no place in our lives, men. We need to be workers. And I need to be reminded of this as much as anybody, but this is what we're supposed to do. You know, there's a second principle that we have here, and that's an issue of preparation. The ant doesn't say, I'll get to work tomorrow because the winter is way off. She provides her supplies in the summer. Work today, play later. Work first, play later. Today, most of us want to play first and work later which is why we have such credit card issues. Work first, play later. How many wives are trying to be that virtuous woman in Proverbs chapter 31 who is managing her household the way God wants it run, but can't ever overcome the husband who spends and wastes everything he ever makes? We have to be managers as well. Provide now. Work now. Play later. Go to the ant. This is the virtuous man. And I could probably do a three-part lesson and do some more things, but this is all we're going to take a look at. But you need to be reading the book of Proverbs. And really, of course, we realize that Proverbs applies to everyone across the board. And yet, when we look at those 30 chapters, so many things that we find in it for us as husbands and fathers. Remember last week when we read Proverbs chapter 31, it pointed out that that the virtuous wife is worth more than jewels. And the reason for that is, is because virtuous wives are more rare than jewels. And we want this congregation to be a jewel mine. But I'll tell you what, virtuous husbands, I'm afraid, are even rarer than that. And I hope that we can be a gold mine 
of virtuous husbands who get their relationship with God right, who seek after wisdom, who live with their families properly, and who have the proper perspective on work and material things. May God bless the Franklin Church that will be a gold mine. I hope this look at manhood through the book of Proverbs has been beneficial to you. I hope it strengthens you and encourages you. And let's remember the three ways in which we need to use this kind of lesson. First, it's a guide for those who are men in the home, for husbands and fathers. Second, it's also a guide for young ladies who are not married to help them determine what kind of man they need to marry. And number three, it's a guide for parents as we raise up our boys to be men of God. If you have any questions about godly manhood, about God's roles for us in the home or God's goals for us in the home, about God himself or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please give us a call at 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody has given you this lesson on CD or on audio tape. If that's the case, may I encourage you to go to the website that I just mentioned. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there, both in audio format and outline format, and you're free to download those and use them in whatever way you see fit. We hope that everything we do with our website and all of our work at the Franklin Church can be used to glorify and honor God. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him, but more importantly, may you richly bless God.